Hi, I'm Britt. And my name is Alyssa. And this is Skeletales. And today we are sitting down in our wingback chairs by our fireplace, our virtual fireplaces. Got my mug here. Yeah, for a Skeletalk with Chris Sumner of Soul Sister Paranormal. Hey, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you all having me tonight. Yeah, we're excited to have you. So you're a paranormal investigator and you have a team. You've assembled a team. Can you tell me a little bit about you guys and how you got started in this and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So the the our team is Soul Sisters Paranormal, as you said, and it's actually a team that's made up of myself, my twin sister, our younger sister, and then two female family friends. And w- how we started was essentially just a girl's trip. Uh, we live in different parts of the country, so we would routinely get together uh, different part, different times of the year to meet up in different towns or cities and just do something historic that, you know, we could meet up for a weekend and just have a fun trip. And uh, in 2013, we decided on Moundsville, West Virginia, which is where the Moundsville State Penitentiary is located. And we had a family friend that sat on the board of the penitentiary at that time. So he said, you know, I know you're coming to Moundsville. Why don't you spend the night in the prison and and see what you find? (gasps) Spend the night? <laughs> we spent the night in the West Virginia State <laughs> Penitentiary. And uh, so we left that. And this was before we, you know, we really knew what we were doing. Uh, this was, yeah. you know, the first time we'd ever in, in, done really anything like this. And we left that experience with what we felt was very compelling, in, uh, you know, evidence such as yeah. doors slamming. And uh, when, when we knew that nobody else was in the building, um, we heard footsteps running through the darkness. I mean, so loud that we thought that something was going to materialize in front of us. That's how loud they were. We were hearing um, voices when we knew that we were the only people in the the penitentiary that night. So it, it was something that really um, was was pretty profound for us. And then after that, we left that location and we decided to formalize Soul Sisters Paranormal. So we came up with our name, our logo, our, our theme music and all of that. And now we travel the country to haunted and historic locations and and really tell the, the narrative, the historical narrative of those locations and then couple that with any um, paranormal activity that we may find during our investigations. Oh, that is so cool. That sounds like something out of a horror movie where they're like, if you spend the night in this haunted penitentiary, <laughs> you get a million dollars. But you guys just did it for fun. We did. A million dollars would have been nice, but um, <laughs> unfortunately, it was just for fun. Maybe I missed that part where I heard it was abandoned. I just thought you had a friend who's like, I have no room in my couch, but we got some cats, some cells open in my old prison down here. Like, you guys the world's worst there. Airbnb. There you go. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, you guys are into paranormal things and the supernatural. Have all of you, all of the your sisters and even your friends, have you always been that way? Or was it one of those things where one of you was and you were like, no, really, you should get into this too? Or I mean, how? what are the chances that like all three of you sisters are like into this? <laughs> well, we've always had a fascination with the paranormal. And we also, um, we all have advanced degrees on the team. So I've got a PhD. My twin has a PhD. We've got two JDs and a master's holder on the team. So oh we, we really come at this with a research-minded background, if you will. And so when we had the opportunity to go to Moundsville, it was really uh, to, to really see if we could research on a on a on more of a scientific level what we felt was going on or f- try to find mm. what was going on on a more research-based level so we like i said we've always had that fascination with the paranormal but and we always said if if we could go on an investigation we would jump at that opportunity because we would watch shows, you know, like Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures, and we would say to ourselves, you know, why didn't they ask this question? Or why didn't they use this technique? Or why didn't they stay longer in this room? So when we got that opportunity to go to Moundsville, even though we were extremely raw, we, we wanted to try to put some of those techniques into play. What we felt were, were just kind of different research-minded techniques. And um, so again, very rudimentary investigation, but every investigation after that is really an opportunity to learn and grow and enhance our, yeah. our techniques and our style. And um, so we've been very fortunate to visit a lot of the quote unquote, um, you know, bucket list locations that nice. most paranormal investigators have. And, you know, for us, it's it's just an amazing experience to, to have this very tactile experience with history 
to go in and, you know, touch the walls of the St. Augustine Lighthouse or, you know, a Revolutionary War Fort or Civil War Hospital, and then to be able to tell that historical narrative and then couple that with, well, again, what we feel is very compelling um, paranormal uh, evidence. Um, yeah. So it, it has started, you know, it did start with that fascination with the paranormal, but I can't say that any of us had like a, a moment where we had something paranormal happen to us or supernatural that really propelled us into this. It was more just going in with that research, curiosity. Yeah, that curiosity, yeah. that research curiosity. I would say oh, that's, that's sort of how, well, no, Brit has seen something. I've never seen an entity. But the fascination <laughs> but the is fascination, there. yes. Like, I'm very yeah. fascinated. So you never saw, like, ghosts as a child or had, you know, an imaginary friend who turned out not to be an imaginary friend. It was actually a ghost or something that hung out with you. <laughs> no worries. No, it, it really wasn't like that. I mean, we, we've always had a belief in the afterlife that something comes after this. Uh, we all, all very, we all are also very religious. So, we, like I said, we always feel that there's something that's going to happen when we die because energy can never be created or destroyed. So we've always had that belief. Um, it was just really that first investigation at Moundsville coupled with some of the, the earlier investigations that really led us to say, okay, there's something going on here that we can't explain. Because like I said, we go in and we control for everything that we can control for environmentally before we even start our investigation. So things like light pollution or wind pollution or you know anything like that. We control for those things. And then when we go into the investigation and we find things that we can't account for the cause of, then that to us is, is extremely compelling. That's right up my alley because I'm that's me. I'm like, okay, the windmills, how close is that windmill from here? It might be vibrating the whole belt. And like, so I appreciate that scientific angle and <laughs> well, controls. Thank you. So I uh, I watched some of your videos on your website, which we'll plug at the end of this because your website is done beautifully. Your videos are very well manicured. They're awesome. Oh, thank you. My question is, though, you you said when you first started, you were very, you guys were amateurs. <laughs> I mean, obviously everyone is when they first start. But what kind of equipment did you have in the beginning? What do you have now? And... Uh, Watching the videos, though, you I see all of these gadgets. I even saw a cigarette at one point, mm -hmm. like sitting on a chair. I I was like, "What is it?" <laughs> well, I'm so I was just so curious. So yeah, if you could explain some of that, I am yeah. It, that's a great question. The very first investigation that we went to at, at Moundsville, we had a couple of voice recorders, and we just had a digital camera, and then one night vision video camera, and so that was really what we captured our initial evidence on. Um, after that, we really kind of wanted to because we knew we would be going to larger locations such as large prisons so we really wanted to build our equipment base so now we have 10 voice recorders and these are just simple amazon voice recorders you can get them like 30 bucks so we have okay. um, 10 voice recorders we have 12 night vision video cameras that are battery operated so we don't need a power source we just have mm -hmm. um little power banks that that's how we plug them in um, and then we have different uh, pieces of equipment that were designed to really measure electromagnetic pulses or electromagnetic energy. And the, the theory behind that is that spirits can use their energy to communicate with us through various tools. So we have something called a K2 meter. And this was, this was actually built for electricians to find power sources in a room. And so it's a small handheld device. It has a light array that goes from green to red. If there's no energy or no power in the room, it stays at green. If there's some type of energy that it, that it can, that it senses, it will spike up to red. Now, if we go into a location where there's no power, Theoretically, these things should never go off to red. Right. So we're leaving them in locations where we know that they're, there's nothing electric in the room. There's nothing that can influence that device. So yeah. when, we, when we find that, that's very compelling to us. So we have those K2 meters. We have what's called a REM pod, which is essentially the same as a K2 meter, but it has an audible alarm, which is kind of fascinating because if you're in another room and you hear the audible alarm go off, again, that's extremely compelling. Yeah. And then, um, so to your point about the cigarette, we are very good at what we, what we call tr uh, leaving trigger items and trigger items okay. for us are those things that are germane to the location or to the event that happened at the location that we bring in, oh. in an attempt to get a response from an entity. So for example, 
when we went to Fort Mifflin, which is a revolutionary war fort in Philadelphia, um, there is a subterranean casemate, which is where they housed mun munitions during the Revolutionary War. So it's about seven feet underground. It's a very small room. Um, there's no light pollution. There's no noise pollution that can permeate into this room. Yeah. And so during the Revolutionary War, they transitioned that into a solitary confinement cell because they were holding a guy who was tried for treason and they put him in that cell. Uh -huh. So when we investigated, we, did, we we thought to ourselves, if I'm in solitary confinement, what things would I appreciate? So we took some water, we took a cigarette, and we took some bread. And we left it in that room for the night. And we said, this is yours. We're, we're acknowledging that you suffered in this room. We're leaving these things for you. So when we went back into that room, there was just myself and another, another investigator. And so we were just asking questions. And I said, did you see the things that we left you? We left you some water and I left you a cigarette and we, a male voice said, thank you. And it captured, we captured it on everything that had running in that room. And it, it's very clear. There are no men on the property and Carr and I are the only two people in this room. So that to us is an indication that he acknowledged what we left for him and he wanted to say thank you for that. So we will, we will leave those trigger items. We'll, we'll take those trigger items on the locations with us and then leave them in various rooms or locations on the property. How did you research this methodology to investigating <laughs> where we need, you know, a trigger item or, you know, and not just going in and, you know, doing what you saw on Ghost Hunters? I know that you learned from their mistakes. Well, well other teams actually use trigger items as well. But, you know, we feel that we kind of go above and beyond on some of them. And that to me is is a very cool part of what we do because we re really research yeah, the historical aspects and we're like, okay, what can we do that's different that nobody's ever tried before? Um, so for ex another example, when we went back to the West Virginia State Penitentiary a second time, we, um, we were trying to communicate with a guy by the name of Red Snyder. And he, was, he was the leader of the Aryan Brotherhood. He was in prison for multiple murders. He was really the worst of the worst in the prison during its operation. And um, so they had him in his own cell, but and he had two vices in life. The first one was smoking, and the second one was watching Days of Our Lives. <laughs> so every day they would wheel a TV in front of his cell. He'd watch Days of Our Lives, and then they'd wheel the TV away. Um, he actually ended up being killed in prison um, by by an, a member of a rival gang. So now his spirit is said to be very prevalent inside the West Virginia State Penitentiary. Mm -hmm. So because of that, and because we knew that history. I downloaded an episode of Days of Our Lives onto our laptop and I left it run in the cell for him and we went to another cell block. So I let him watch it yeah. and, you know, let him do his thing. So when we came back, you know, we were trying to, again, ask questions. And I said, again, did you did you watch the Days of Our Lives episode? And we had a yes response. And then after that, we had what we call a K2 session where we had those two meters, again, that measure electromagnetic energy. Mm -hmm. And we were going back and forth. We would ask him to light up the meters, um, ask him to light up the one on the right or the one on the left. And it was it was a very cool session because he was doing it on command. And then after at, like a hundred percent of the time. Well, I, I'd say probably about sixty percent of the time. Um, and it was it was very interesting because at one point, um, like I said, we, the, those two meters are designed to measure electromagnetic energy, and we had them about three feet apart, um, a, a guest investigator, his name was Chris, was with us. And my investigator, Michelle, was holding the other one. And they're about three feet apart. And it was fascinating because the one that Chris was holding was going off, but the one that Michelle was holding was not. So it was very, it, it was interesting because it seemed like Red really liked Chris more so than yeah. Michelle. And so then the final question was, um, if you can light up one of those meters one more time, we'll leave these cigarettes for you. We'll leave them for you. And then both of the meters lit up. So it was, it was very fascinating. So at the end of that K2 session, Give me the cigarettes. exactly. So at the end of that K2 session, uh, you can hear me say, okay, we're going to go. Thank you. And behind me, a male's voice says, no, thank you. And again, Whoa. so it was extremely compelling evidence that we were able to capture that night. Um, so for us, finding those different things, those different trigger items is is, is a lot of fun. And, the, and it's really just based on the research that we do of the location. Oh, that's now, so interesting. What is the, is it the e EVP that you're getting the... Uh, Thank Alyssa. I she gave you a thumbs up because I always <laughs> we really struggle with all the acronyms, and we're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like, yeah, that's great, EMR. Yep, I think you got it. We, 
Yeah. <laughs> but it, that's how you're getting the the audio mm-hmm. um, from the, the spirits, right? That's, yeah. It, it, they're called EVPs, which stands for electronic voice phenomena. And okay. bas- basically what that means is it's a, it's a voice or a noise that you either hear or don't hear in the moment, but your electronic equipment is picking up, your recording equipment is picking up. So yeah. there are some instances where we'll be in a room asking questions and we don't hear anything. Um, you know, we don't capture anything. It, audibly, we don't capture anything while we're sitting there. Yeah. And then when we go back and listen to the, the, the voice recorder, we'll find that we have captured something. Um <sighs> So, for example, we were at um, Hales Bar Dam, which is in Tennessee, and uh, this this was a, a fascinating location. It's um it's it's a dam that that was built in the early 1900s. It was in operation until 1962, and there's a series of tunnels that run underneath the dam. And the, the school kids would use these tunnels to get from one side of the river to the other. And in 1956, there was an accident where some of these kids were, were killed. And so Michelle and Cara were were down in the tunnels and they were asking questions. And um, Michelle says, why are you still here? Why haven't you moved on? Mm. And she didn't hear anything when they were doing that communication. But when I went back and listened to the audio recorder, we captured a child's voice saying, I can't, I'm stuck. (gasps) And so that's an example of an EVP that she didn't hear audibly, but we were able to capture on the voice recorder. Wow. Oh my gosh, chilling. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting. The examples you've shared are people who you know have died in the places that you're investigating. Is that what you find? Is that these ghosts or spirits are residing in the place where they died? Or are there ever instances where you know someone like lived in a place for a long time and they died in a hospital or something, but their spirit is at the home? And that's a great question. And I've got two answers for you. Um, the first one is um, one that everybody knows is the Lizzie Borden house. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, the, the murders that occurred there, Andrew Borden and Abby Borden, um, you know, those are the two murders that occurred in the house. Uh, when you investigate the Lizzie Borden house, however, um, it's common to get children's voices or children laughter. And those were children that actually lived um, a couple of houses down and were killed in an accident uh, at some point in the history of the of the neighborhood. I can't remember, remember the exact date, but for some reason, they're very prevalent inside the Lizzie Borden house. So when, when we investigated there, we actually captured the children laughing in one of the upstairs bedrooms. Now, they weren't killed in the house, but they did live in the area, and you're able to capture them to sometimes inside the Lizzie Borden house. Huh. So that's one example. Wow. Another example is actually a personal example. Um, and in uh, 1986, my granddaddy died, and um, he and my grandmother, who we called Nana, so he and Nana, you know, they, they loved each other, loved their lives and all of that. And so when he died, it was, it was pretty tragic for our family. And in 2016, I actually had a very vivid dream that my granddaddy came to me. And in the dream, I asked him, what did he want? What, what do you want? And I said, what do you want, granddaddy? And he looked at me and he said, I'm, I'm waiting for your Nana. You're going to be getting a call soon. Now, this dream was extremely vivid and it, it occurred in a house where he and my Nana lived. We still own the house, but it had been vacant for a little bit. So uh, there's a very specific room that was in this dream. So I didn't really think anything of it. But about two weeks later, my Nana was in, a, was in an accident and she never really recovered from that. And we ended up putting her in hospice and she was in hospice for about three weeks. And so on the day that she passed and with permission from my family, I looked at Jenny and I said, I know where she's going. She's going to that house and she's going to meet up with granddaddy. And so we took our, those EMF meters and we went to the house and we went and I stood exactly in the spot where I stood in that dream. Yeah. The power had been turned off in the house because it had been vacant. And um, so we started asking questions and through a series of questions, um, yes and no questions, Um, Our meters were lighting up and we had a gray one and a black one and they were alternating on command. And through those series of questions, we were able to determine that Nana did meet up with granddaddy there and they ascended together. And the reason I think that is because we went back a week later and did the exact same experiment with the exact same pieces of equipment and the exact same questions and nothing happened. We didn't get any indications on any of our equipment that that day. So that's an example of Nana dying in hospice, but I'm I'm confident that she met up with granddaddy in that location yes. and then they moved on after that. 
Oh, I love that. I know. That I mean, me- and just what beautiful closure to like be re- reunited with your love, you know, mm-hmm. at the, at the, the end. whole story gives me goosebumps, like the dream ahead of time. Me and too. I mean, that alone, I would have been like, I'm a psychic. Do you often have those types of dreams? I don't. And that's what made it so interesting because like I said, this dream was extremely, was so vivid. I can tell you, you know, everything from the fact that he wasn't wearing shoes to the way, cause he was wearing drawstring pants, how his, how the drawstring looked, what he smelled like. I mean, this dream was so vivid. And the interesting thing was, is even though Nana was 93, I mean, she had, she was driving. She had just got her driver's license renewed. She was dancing twice a week. Oh. Um, she had two boyfriends. Neither one knew about each other. So, I mean, Nana had it going on. Um, and so there was no indication that anything was going to happen. And, you know, she yeah. just, it just actually ended up taking a bad fall and um, you just never really recovering from that. So yeah. the fact is so when I had the dream, it wasn't really anything that I, that I shot up and said, Oh, I've got to go warn somebody. Cause it, yeah, it really got to watch out for Nana. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't in my mind to, to do that. Um, I did tell my parents and then afterward when, when Nana had the accident, I said, mom, you know, remember that dream. And she said, Oh wow. Yeah. So it was just a really cool series of events because I was, ex- I mean, I'm named after my Nana. So I was extremely close with Nana. And I think that I was allowed to have that dream because my granddaddy wanted me to know that it was going to be okay. And I think that we were supposed to go over to that house to really get that confirmation that they're okay. Um, And so it was a really cool experience. It seems like also for you, because you're close with them, a form of closure for Mm -hmm. you too. It was, and it was extremely peaceful. You know, um, you know, it it was just one of those things that, that brought me a lot of peace. Um, Obviously I was sad because, you know, we wouldn't see Nan anymore, but um, it was just, it, it really brought me peace in that moment. That is that's so nice. Wow. Um, so <laughs> from a scientific perspective, what is your theory on where these ghosts are existing? Is it like, are they um, in another dimension, in another Purgatory? plane? Are they here all the time and we just can't see them or how? Yeah. What is your theory on this? Okay, so I'll take it a couple steps at a time. Okay. Um, I, I feel that the, the spirits that we're trying to communicate with at, at all of these locations had a human experience. They had a human existence, and they really want their story told. And you know, everybody goes through life wanting to be recognized, wanting to be acknowledged. And when we die, the only thing really le- that we have left us are, are, are stories, are those histories, those historical moments, and those stories that really keep us alive. And so, my belief is that when somebody dies, you there's some for some reason there are those that are not ascending automatically. They, they're they they're allowed to stay here or they're staying here for some reason. I believe there's three reasons, actually. The first one is they have unfinished business. For some reason, there's something that has to be fulfilled or accomplished before they ascend. Um, so granddaddy would be a great example of that, right? So he didn't ascend. He was waiting for Nana and Nana's death was his unfinished business. Once they met up, they ascended together. So I don't think I'm going to have any contact with Nana or granddaddy again. Yeah. The The second one is they're, they're stuck. They know that they're dead, but for some reason they can't find a way to get to whatever is next. And I think we see this a lot with children, um, kind of back to that Hales Bar Dam example where the child said, I can't, I'm stuck. He knows he's dead, but he's, he's, he can't move on to whatever's next for whatever reason. And then the third one is, I think that there is fear of retribution for the life they lived on earth for whatever's coming next. So they don't want to face that next level of, of punishment. If, if they perceive that there is some type of a punishment coming next, then they're more than happy just to stay where they are. And I They'll think stay in that prison cell because exactly. they don't want to know what hell is. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly where I was going with that. So I think those in jails and prisons are those individuals that, that don't want to go to whatever's next. And um, so th- those are the, those are the theories that we really work with. And again, these are unproven, you know, we can't prove them until we die, but that those are the theories that we really work on when we go to these locations. I've got a question. Have you ever brought a clairvoyant or medium with you to these to, I mean, for, obviously you're getting like audio 
from the spirits, but is there somebody like maybe the little kid who's like stuck in this dam? Like, I don't know if there would be like some like, I don't know, medium who could come in and just be like, just look at the light and just go that way. I don't know, like who could communicate with them in some way. For the investigations that we've gone on, we have not. um, I've actually been asked that question before and and we have not done that to date. It is something that we will consider in the future, um, maybe uh, sending in a a medium before us or after us to just kind of confirm what, what we find. Um, but we haven't done that yet. And, you know, when I, when I use the Hales bar example, a, a lot of people like you, Britt say, you know, why, why didn't you help that child move on? And, you know, the reason that we didn't is I don't feel that that is my place because I don't own mm. that property. Now, if okay. I own Hales bar dam, that'd be a different story because when I heard that EVP, it, it really touched my heart. Um, but I don't feel that it's my place because I don't own that property. I don't own that land. I don't own the dam. So if the owner of Hales bar dam wanted to do that, then, then that's her prerogative. But for us on these investigations, because we don't own the locations, I don't feel that it's my right to do that. Interesting. Yeah. So people might just be like holding go- ghosts hostage to as a as an attraction. <laughs> Come visit my haunted my haunted prison, but no no mediums. You can't save them. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, that that's interesting. <laughs> real quick, because you mentioned it, I'm gonna forget if I don't bring it up now. Um, that the ghosts that are stuck, who are stuck and feel like like the little kid. Have you heard about these ghosts um, in Fukushima? that the the ghosts that are getting into taxi cabs and stuff and they're just appearing at doors i, I don't think Brit, i don't know if you've heard of this either but i don't know about i don't know where i've i probably listened to some podcasts but there's a whole story about many many ghost sightings right it is a fascinating story so this occurred after the tsunami and um and so all of these people were killed by the tsunami and afterwards the 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 japanese in, in that culture have a much different theory about the afterlife than we do they're they're much more accepting of it and embracing of it um so their belief is if a spirit comes to you you welcome them and you help them which is what we attempt to do in soul scissors but you know that and we don't provoke or anything like that and and that's very much following along that that same line and that mindset so after the tsunami after the tsunami all of these reports of spirit activity started, you know, ramping up and accelerating. And to your point, um, Alyssa, there, there'll be, there'll be passengers that open the door, get into a cab. They say the destination, the cab driver will take them. And when they get there, they look back and the, the passenger is gone. They didn't get out of the door. They just disappeared. So the taxi driver actually pays that fare out of his pocket um, because he feels that that's how, his, he's helping those spirits. Um, there's been some instances where um, people who are dripping wet will knock on doors. And when they open the doors, uh, when the owner of the house opens the door, they just see these dripping wet people saying, can you help us? And they'll say, hold on, let me go get you some tr- dry clothes or some towels. And when they come back with those items, the people are gone. Uh, it's 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 a fascinating story. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you, um, Unsolved Mysteries actually has an amazing episode on it. Uh, it's it's extremely fascinating. That might be where I saw it. I think that's where I saw it. Uh, I couldn't remember. I've been consuming a <laughs> lot of content. Catch up on those. Mm-hmm. It was it was very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Do you have a bucket list? Like you said, you had bucket list places um, in the U.S. that you've hit. But do you have like? Is there? I'm going to try to use a big word. Pentultimate. Is that how you say that? Pentultimate. No. Okay. Big. <laughs> like I'm just trying like a pinnacle, like a, a, a the the gold, oh, you know, the, like a trophy location. The Taj Mahal yes, of paranormal. Go. Yes. Exactly. I see where you're going with you this. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to see how far you're going to take I'm it. Like I can't. My words are coming. I'm, I'm going to see how far you're going to go with this there one. There's like a word I'm looking for. I don't know. You know, but the golden bucket list. Yes. 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 Uh, <laughs> Yes. Um, the, for, for international, I, I would absolutely love to get to Leap Castle in Ireland. And this location has always fascinated me. So um, just the history and the lore behind it all uh, is, and just, just the historical nature of, of the UK and, and Ireland and, and the, and, and Europe, they just have a different history than we do, obviously a, a grander yeah. history. Um, so I would love to get to those locations. Uh, there's a couple of places in Australia that I would love to go. Um, the Melbourne, 
jail is one of those locations. Um, the Monte Cristo uh, plantation or farmhouse, that's another one um, that I'd like to get to. Um, and, and in the U.S., uh, the uh, the Queen Mary is one location that we really want to get to. Um, Estes Park would be fantastic. Uh, the Stanley Hotel. I've been to the Stanley Hotel several times, but not as an investigator. So that'd mm. be an inter- interesting place to go as well. So, yeah, we, we always have a bucket list. It's always changing as, as we knock them off. But, yeah. um, you know, there's, they're just fascinating locations all over the world. Do you pick out the places where you're like, for example, the Melbourne jail. Mm-hmm. How would you get in there? Like, do you just call and be or email and you're like, hey, this is what I do. Can I come for a couple of nights? Or or I'm sure you also have it the other way, too, where people are contacting you as well. Mm-hmm. And we have two types of investigations that we do. The first one are those that I would consider commercial locations. So it's those locations like the West Virginia State Penitentiary, the St. Augustine yeah. Lighthouse, the Lizzie Borden House, those places that are open for the general public to tour um, and also for paranormal investigations. So a lot of these locations will call and say, hey, can we you know, stay the night in, in, in the, your prison or your jail or your house? And and um, we, we really go on those investigations to build our portfolio and to really enhance our investigation techniques and skills and, and really to add to the, um, the, the knowledge base of, of what's going on with the paranormal in those locations. And then the second type of investigation is residential or business owners will call us um, and say, can can you come and investigate our location? Can you come investigate my house? Come and investigate my business because I feel like something's going on there. And so, you know, those are the ones that are are very interesting to us as well because you're dealing with a, a family or you're dealing with a business owner who, first of all, just wants to be believed and, and acknowledge that they're not crazy yeah. um, and then to find out what's really going on in those locations. What requirement do you I mean, is this something where they're like, they pay you money to come and investigate for them? Or is it one of those where um, they, uh, what am I trying to say? Where they just want to like, well, and if you, and if you're not, and if you don't charge, then it's just like, oh, oh, this'll be a fun, you know, like stick to do or whatever. (laughs) Like, I I mean, how do you like filter through? Like, how do you know who's being genuine and who's just wanting to like have a good laugh or whatever? Okay. And that's a great question. And first of all, we don't charge. So all of, all of what we do is self-funded. In fact, you know, we're, we're paying to go to a lot of these places on the commercial side. Um, When somebody contacts us, we, we do go through a series of questions with them. Um, And a lot of the times, again, we'll start with just the research base of the family, of the location. Um, And the first thing that I'll do is say, either take a couple of our voice recorders or go get a couple of voice recorders and put them in your home and just turn them on and let them run for 24 hours. Send them to me and we'll see if we can find out if we can hear anything or see anything that that you're experiencing. Um, Mm. And then if if we can rule out a lot of the, I'd say probably about 75% of the time we can rule out paranormal. Um, Again, because we go in with that research base, we find things that we say, okay, I think this is environmental, i.e. light or noise pollution. So for example, um, we got called into a business. Uh, He called us and he said he had just opened and he put up a series of night vision video cameras. And it's a it's a brick and mortar location. He's got a storefront that is all glass and he's got some mirrors down the wall. He's got some glass display cases um, for, for his items. And he put up all the, these night vision video cameras and they started going on and off. So he was convinced that it was paranormal. And so he called us in. And we did an investigation one night and we weren't feeling anything. Our equipment wasn't going off. It, I, there was just our, ind- every indication was that there wasn't anything paranormal that we could explain mm. in this location. So we left some of our night vision video cameras in different spots um, f- to run throughout the night. And so the next morning I went in and I asked him, I said, did your night vision video cameras go crazy last night? And he said, yes. I said, okay, give me the timestamps and I'm going to cross-reference them with our night vision video cameras. So yeah. what I found was, the, the storefront that he had is along a highway that had a large volume of U-turn traffic. Um, and so when the, the cars were turning, <laughs> the headlights were going into the glass storefront, hitting the mirror and bouncing into the camera and essentially blinding the camera to the point that it was turning off and turning back on. And uh-huh. so I told him, I said, if you just change the angle of the camera, 
camera or take the mirrors down, I think I think your problem will go away. And it did. Yeah. So those are the type of things that we try to look for before we say this is this is haunted or unexplainable to us. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the times when we get called in, it, it is that one, people want to be, you know, again, acknowledge that they're not crazy. And mm-hmm. then we'll talk them through what's going on. We'll do an investigation and then come up with options if we do find something that's paranormal. Do any of you in the group have a um, a sensitivity to if there is activity before you even turn equipment on? Like when you walk in and you're like, oh, this place feels energetic or this place feels full or oh I feel really dark or happy or like you know do you, do does anybody in your group have that sensitivity and that's a great question I, I'm not going to call us empaths um, but I think the fact that we are an all-female group makes us empathic um, yeah. because I think overall females just have a more empathic side than men do or an all feet or a, or a co-ed group would um, because we don't go in with that bravado. We don't go in with provoking. We, mm-hmm. if you watch any of our videos, we routinely say, we're here to tell your story. We're legitimately looking for that story, that communication to, to, to communicate what the spirit wants us to communicate. Um, so when we go into a location, like say, for example, Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary in, in Tennessee, you do get that, fin- that that feeling that, yeah, there's something here, kind of like kind of like you're being watched a little bit. Um, yeah. But I wouldn't say that we can communicate with them telepathically um, or, you know, in, in, like an empath. Um, mm. Now, I will say that because my twin sister and I have a very strong connection, I do think that makes us, again, a little bit more empathic, but we're not empaths. I, I wouldn't call us okay. that. I'm not going to put that label on us. Um, but they'll There'll be times when like we're standing in a location. And for me, if, if my, it's interesting, if my left leg starts to kind of tingle a little bit, kind of like when it goes to sleep, if you sit on it mm-hmm. for a long time, if it starts to feel that feeling, then I'm like, okay, I think something's going to happen. I think we're going to catch something here. I think we're going to feel something here or find something here. So that's sort of my quote unquote tell, if you will. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah. It, it's interesting. Um, there's been times we'll, we'll walk in and it just feels colder. Um, and in that instance, we'll say, okay, you know, Mark on the, like we'll say to the air, Mark on the voice recorder, it's starting to get colder. The temperature's going down. We all have thermometers so we can actually watch the temperature going down. Um, so to the, so there are physical aspects that we feel when we go into these locations. Um, and, and that, that really is an, an interesting feeling when you go into some of these locations. Yeah. Okay, since you are you just mentioned it and touched on it, one of my questions because we are um, we're not just ghost stories. We're all about kind of psychic phenomena, anything bizarre, weird, UFOs, near death experiences, anything, strange coincidences. You are mm-hmm. a twin, and you have a. T- are you identical twins? Or are you? We are okay. Yep. So, have you had any like really bizarre, strange like? Can you said you have a connection, but like things that are like. You, can you read each other's minds or you could feel the pain when she was at summer camp and you were home and all of a sudden your arm hurt. She felt like any stories like that. Yeah, absolutely. We, we've got a lot of them actually. Um, one that comes to mind as you're asking the question is um, when we were in high school, we're both very athletic. So, you know, we played on different sports and stuff, um, different sports teams in high school. And um, there was one instance where Jenny, she stayed at home that day because she wasn't feeling very well. So, and we had a late game, it was a late basketball game. So I was coming home um, and I would say probably around midnight, I was driving back to the house and uh, Jenny, for some reason, just got up out of bed and started getting dressed. And my mom's like, what, why are you getting dressed? What's going on? And Jenny said, I think Christy's going to get into a car accident tonight. And I did, I got into a car accident and this was before cell phones. So, um, I actually, we got into the, this, this kid hit me. He's, he sideswiped me. Um, and he actually tried to run the little punk, but, um, so when we finally, when I finally got him stopped, uh, we actually went to a, a convenience store and asked to use the phone. And I, I called home. Um, and mom said, Jenny's already on her way. Cause she knows, <laughs> she knows the route. And she said, Jenny's already on her way. So she actually got there before, um, the police did. Wow. Oh, that's that amazing. is exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> I am feel so satisfied cuz oh yeah, my gosh, that is amazing. That's so cool. So, you have been to a lot of places now. You've been doing this for several years. Mm-hmm. What place 
comes to mind of just the most activity that you like got there and the whole night just nonstop action. Okay. Um, I would say for me, that was the old Gilcrest County jail and that's in Trenton, Florida, which is about an hour's West of Gainesville, Florida. And this location is, is very interesting. It's a small County jail. It has eight cells. There was four in the bottom section and then four in the top section. And then there's a small little jailer's house that's connected by a doorway. So the jail was built in 1928 and it was in operation until 1968. And, and this, the first time that I went there, I was actually doing a collaboration with Miranda Young from Ghost Biker Explorations, and she and I were the only two people on the property that night. So when we were talking to the owner about doing the investigation, uh, the owner said, um, do y'all carry? Do you, do you have your, your concealed weapons permit? And we said, yes, we do. And she goes, I highly recommend that you keep your guns on you at all times during the night because that's where this area is located, right? It's not in, in the best part of the county. Right. So it's a very right. rural county. Um, you know, after the jail closed in 1968, it did become, it was abandoned and it did become a, a location where a lot of drug deals went down. Um, there was actually a, a guy that was killed in 2002 in a drug deal gone bad. So at the Not, jail? Yeah, at, inside this jail. At, oh, when inside it was of, inside the jail okay. um, after it became abandoned in 1968. So he was killed in 2002. And um, so when we went in, we both had our, our sidearms on us and we set up all the equipment that we had. So we had voice recorders, we had night vision video cameras, we had those K2 meters set up, we had the REM pods set up. Um, we had different devices that we, that we used during our investigation. And initially, like for the first hour, we weren't feeling anything. It's just like this, essentially this place was dead. So Miranda said, I wonder if they think we're cops because of our guns. And so she said, let's try taking the guns off. So there was a cot in one of the cells. And so I, I took my gun off and I put it on the cot and Miranda took hers off. And as she's putting it down, she said, I'm going to put this down nice and slow. And behind us, a guy goes good. And there's nobody else in the jail. So after that, the night was on because we were seeing shadow figures. We captured them on camera. Um, we had a laser grid set up in front of a night vision video camera and a, a shadow figure walked across from right to left. And I said, can you do that again? And it walked back from left to right. Oh! So we saw it in the moment. Um, we captured EVPs that night. Um, our, our REM pod, again, which is designed to measure electromagnetic energy, we set it in the hallway um, where, again, there's no power here. We set it in the hallway and we stepped back probably about 10 feet into one of the cells. And we're just kind of peering around to see it, to get eyes on it. And we started asking questions. And um, Britt, to your, to your point last time, it was almost 100% accurate. We were asking questions and it was alarming um, almost 100% of the time on each of these questions. And then we took another device, which is called an ovulus. And it's basically a word bank. Um, and it was interesting because we said, who is here with us tonight? And we got the name Robert. And when we asked the REM pod, we said, is there somebody named Robert here? The REM pod started going off. And we were never given the name Robert. But when I went back and asked the, the owner, I said, was there a guy named Robert in here at any point? And she said, yeah, he was murdered in that back cell room, a, a guy named Robert. So that was Whoa. interesting. Um, so that, that to me was the most amazing investigation just because every piece of equipment that we had that night was validating every other piece of equipment. And to me, that is extremely compelling. You know, you can sometimes say, okay, you know, this, the K2 going off, it could be this, or the, the Oval is saying this word, it could be that. But when you've got, we're getting EVPs, we're seeing shadow figures and we're capturing them on film. We've got the, the REM pod the going gamut. off. It, it yeah. was, it really was the gamut. So <laughs> that to me is probably the most active. Um, and then I would say after that is Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary in uh, Petros, Tennessee. Um, I guess this is a sort of related question and not necessarily the most activity, but has there ever been a place where you've investigated that you have been just super terrified. Like I'm more scared of like the actual people I think than ghosts, like <laughs> real people would probably scare me more, but I, I, I think I get the fear in me. I get very freaked out very easily. Like, are there any places where you're just like shutting her down? We're, we're out of here. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> no, we've never done that. Um, you know, I'll say when we go to some of these places, we've never had 
a scare to the to the point where we're running out. Um, yeah. It's always been more fascinating. Now, I, I will say that there's been moments that we've been startled. You know, you get doors slamming at you. You hear your voice called from a hallway down the down the building. Yeah. You hear a scream from down the building. That's extremely startling. But for us, it's fascinating at the same time. Uh, I would say probably the one that, I, I mean, for lack of a better term, creeped me out the most yeah. would be um, the uh, the Velisca Axe Murder House. And oh. that is just a place where, if you don't know the story, Velisca, Iowa is like a, a, a pinpoint on the map in Iowa. There's not a whole lot going on there. And so in 1912, there was a family called the Moore family and they went to church and they came back. So it was the Moores, their four kids. And then they had two overnight guests, the Stillinger girls. Um, and so they all came back from church. They got ready and went to bed. And during the night, somebody was hiding out in the attic. And when they went to bed, the person came out of the attic and bludgeoned them all to death with an ax. And to the point where the faces were mutilated, you couldn't even tell who they were. So the, the, the crime is still never solved. They don't know who did it. Um, the guy, after he did it, he slipped out into the night and, and that was it. So when you go into that house, it's, it's interesting because it almost feels like the walls are holding that, that, that pain, that, that negative energy in. So it's a very mm, heavy, I guess I'd say heavy feeling when you walk mm -hmm. into that house. And now we did capture some interesting things. Um, we captured some EVPs of, of men. Um, we captured a child's voice. Um, we had a, a really cool K2 session there as well. But I would say that that was the one that when you, when you say what gave you chills down your spine, I'd say the Velisca X murder house. Yeah, I have heard that story before. Now that once you start, I was like, oh, that is, that's tragic. That is yeah. so sad. Would you ever live in a house that a murder happened? Like, would you move into that house? Like the fullest house? I'd be fascinated to live in a house like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'd probably live in it and then, you know, charge people to come in and investigate it. So. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> to pay my mortgage. Um, I, yeah, I, I would. Guys, go ahead. You guys are going into the creepiest prisons, jails. Like you would think, like the ghosts haunting these places. These are going to be the worst of the worst. And I, I like that it doesn't scare you, and that it's more of just this fascination than like, oh, you're going to scream my name. Like you're fine. That's oh, oh, that's so exciting. You said my name. Like, <laughs> I would be scared. <laughs> well, you know, like I said, it's, it's just one of those things for us. I, I just, it, it's, it is interesting. You, like I said, you walk in and. Um, first of all, most of these investigations are at night. Now we do have day investigations as well, but most of them are at night. And so you're relying on other senses other than your sight, because, you know, obviously these are darker locations. So your, your hearing becomes very acute. You have these, these feelings of, you know, again, those, that cold feeling, um, mm. you know, so you're relying on different senses, which again, in and of itself is fascinating. But, you know, when, when we get to walk in and, um, and, and, be into these be in these places again we're we're walking into history and that is the most yeah. amazing part to us uh like i said fort mifflin a, a revolutionary war fort i'm touching the walls that were built by revolutionary war soldiers that's that's pretty darn cool um brushy mountain state penitentiary this was a maximum security prison um where the worst of the worst were housed and, I, and i'm standing yeah. in this um uh the veliskax murder house the saint augustine lighthouse the trans allegheny lunatic yeah. asylum you know these are all places that regardless of what happened in them they're still you know extremely historic historic to us and to be able to go yeah. into these locations really is just it, it, it is why we do it honestly yeah there was one uh that the civil war hospital because on your website there was that video and that one the evp that occurred there <laughs> was like pretty compelling that was the little girl's voice that was <laughs> so that was very very cool um, and the history of that place. We attempt to sometimes do a little historical research on our, we're not, it's, it's hard. It's not easy to balance that it information yeah. and keep it all entertaining and, and, and engaging, but you guys, mm -hmm. you, you do it very well. 
<laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you know, the Exchange Hotel, and that's the one you're referencing. Okay, yes, the, yeah. <clears throat> the Exchange Hotel, and it's, it, that's located in Gordonsville, Virginia. And um, this was a, a, it's really a really cool place. It was a very opulent hotel um, before the Civil War, and it was built because the the railroad lines converged in Gordonsville. So you have the the Northwest Line and the East South Line all converging in this little town. So this hotel was built really to the highest standards of the time. You've got these large rooms, you've got these large hallways. Uh, and then in uh, during the Civil War, because a lot of the munitions and, 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 and soldiers and troops kept crisscrossing through this, this location, um, it became a Civil War hospital. And it saw both Union and Confederate soldiers in the hospital. And so there was over 750 soldiers that ended up dying in this, in this hospital. After the Civil War, it was reconverted back into a hotel. So when we investigated there, um, when you first walk in, it's because now it's a museum. So when you first walk in, you've got half the rooms um, set up as the hotel, and then the other half are set up as the Civil War hospital rooms. And <clears throat> so you see all of the the, the uh, instruments that were used for, for hospital care, for amputations and all of that. But then on the other side, you've got these grand, um, you know, clawfoot tubs and, and beds and everything, four-poster beds. So it really is a unique experience when you walk in. So we left a voice recorder on one of the beds in a room that is set up to look like a hotel. And there were three, there were five of us that night, but there were three of us outside and two of us were inside. And so now, you know, there's only two people inside this property uh, or inside the building. And the voice recorder first called a man's voice saying, I don't know, I'll be back at 430, which is extremely compelling to us because it, it could be a doctor saying that he's coming back to operate, yeah. or it could be saying somebody saying, I'm, I'm going to catch the 430 train. So that was very cool. Um, and then a couple hours what after time that. Of day, what time was it? Nighttime? What time was it? Was it like three o'clock and you're like, he's going to be back at four. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see that was, um, well, it was probably around, I think on that one, it was about one 30 in the morning when we captured that one. But the thing is we never heard it in the moment. It was one of those yeah. that we captured on the voice recorder and we didn't Afterwards. hear it until we're okay. reviewing all of our footage. Um, and, and then, you know, this likewise with the next one, um, there was a child, a child's voice came through and said, uh, hi, this is my bed, which again is extremely compelling because there's no children on the property at all. There's no men on the property at all. So those are things that to me are completely unexplainable. You know, I've controlled for everything else, but I can guarantee you that there's no men and I can guarantee you that there's no children on any of these investigations. So to capture those two EVPs was extremely fascinating. And the one with the child is even more fascinating because it seemed intelligent. Like he was mm. talking to the voice recorder saying, hi, this is my oh, bed. Like introducing uh, you, know? you to his space. <laughs> yeah. So it seemed like a very intelligent response. Whereas the man's voice seemed more like what we call residual. Um, it, it's basically like, if you think of a record player that has a scratch on it and it, 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 it bleeps every time it hits that scratch, yeah. uh, this is a residual, what we call a residual haunting. It's something that will play over and over in time. We call that a memory spirit, I think, just in our own. <laughs> we made up our own yeah, term for it. Because like, <laughs> Britt has seen a, a an entity like that that was just walking through her house and didn't. Yeah, oh, cool. like, yeah like it was, yeah, just an everyday occurrence, just walking across the living room and no cognizance of, yeah, just. That yeah. anybody else Okay, that's was awesome. There. Almost, uh, yeah. Oh, that's so <laughs> Memory spirit, I like it. A residual, I mean. We're we're trying to learn the lingo. We're making we're, we'll write these down so then next interview <laughs> we can act we like we <laughs> we've known it all along. Um. So now that you have been in this the biz for a while, and you go back and watch these paranormal investigator shows, does it kind of infuriate you? And do you see these, watch these, and think that or say? that's false information. Like that's, that's not an orb. That's a speck of dust. You know, like, are you able to now with like the keen eye and knowledge 
go back and kind of debunk these guys or girls? <laughs> well, first of all, you know, I'm, I'm not going to disparage any other team. Uh, when you, when you watch these, these shows, these popular television shows, you do have to realize, <clears throat> excuse me, you do have to realize that they are in it for the sensationalism and they are in it for an audience base. Their mm-hmm. entire reason for being is to get an audience. And the formula that most of them have come up with is, very sensationalism, uh, very sensationalized. And a lot of them tend to go demonic or dark, um, Mm. which is, uh, you know, all of the investigations that we've gone on, I can tell you that we've never dealt with anything that I would consider demonic or dark. Sorry. I would not consider them (laughs) demonic or dark. Um, Demonic. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. It's the dog snoring. <laughs> she's Fresh she's it. snoring. Um, so anyway, so I would not consider them, you know, demonic or dark. Um, so, but to your point, yes, there have been some where we're watching and say, you know, I think that that could be this, it could be something else. Um, to your point about orbs, for us, we are not a big orb team um, because I think it can be explained away. If there's one that if you know, in the surroundings, you're not seeing any other dust, you're not seeing any other bugs, and this thing just appears, then I'll start to say, okay, that that could be something. Um, but yeah. the, the majority of the places that we go to, there's there's so much dust, and there's so much, um, you know, bug activity that it's very hard to isolate one and say, oh, that's a spirit, and oh, that's, that's a bug, or, you know, something else, or dust. Yeah. So for us, we kind of steer away from the whole orb discussion, honestly. Yeah, that, yeah, that you're, that's Alyssa's stance too. <laughs> you mentioned before we started recording that you are attending um, para, Paracom. Is that what Paracons? Paranormal con- Paracons, yeah. Paracons. Paranormal conventions, conventions yeah. Paracons, symposiums, and um, you're going to be speaking at those or presenting at those. Um, mm-hmm. Did you ever? Well, one, I would love to hear more about that because I have never, I didn't even know it was a, a thing. I did not um, until today. And then, <laughs> did you ever expect this to grow into what it has? That you are someone who is now presenting at Paracons when you, you know, just started when mm-hmm. when you first went to that penitentiary. Pen- Penitentiary. Nope. Penitentiary. Not happening. <laughs> Penitentiary. That large jail. Yes. <laughs> the big jail yeah. place. Yeah, the big jail place. Uh, <laughs> and that's a great question, and I appreciate you asking it. And the answer is no. Um, when we first started doing this, uh, it, it, we, we went on a couple of investigations. We did West Virginia State Penitentiary, and then we followed that up with Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, which is also in West Virginia. And my parents really, and some aunts and uncles just started asking, you know, what is it like? What were you feeling? What did you see? And so we never really even considered putting videos together for these, but I was like, hey, let's give it a try. And um, so the, so the first one we put together was um, Fort Mifflin and uh, you know, we started getting some responses from that. And so it just really evolved from there. And we, we now put together again, that historical narrative because we, like I said before, the history of these locations is so important and we want the history to be able to carry the entire video. So even if you don't like the paranormal, you can watch the videos and get the historical perspective of these locations. So getting the history was very important to us. So that's really what we really kind of moved toward more of a historical story. And then if we capture any paranormal evidence, we'll put that in as well and then follow it up with, with how those two are, are really combined in the summation of the video. Um, So to answer your question, no, I never dreamed it would be something that really has encompassed my life on such a large scale. Uh, You know, I I do interviews. I like to your point, I speak at Paracons. We we're speaking at symposiums, you know, we're traveling to different locations. We're getting locations um, that are calling us and say, Hey, can you come and spend the night here and and give us a rating of what you think? And so for me, I, I never really dreamed that, that, that would, would it materialize into what it has? But to me, it's just, it's, it's just a cool experience all the way around. So I have a friend who it, we've talked about it on the podcast before for people who've listened before. Um, her daughter um, has an imaginary friend who we have since discovered um, is a little 12 uh, year old girl, Jada, who was in a car crash. Oh, wow. That was about five or six years ago. Her mom 
<laughs> she's my friend, so she is kind of like into the paranormal a little bit too. So when her daughter starts talking about Jada, Jada, Jada all the time, her daughter doesn't name anything, teddy bears, dolls, nothing. Wow. Starts talking about. So she is my, knowing, you know, she pulls up Jada obituary. Wow. As she does, her daughter comes by, looks at her phone. Oh, it's Jada. Wow. And her daughter's three years old. So wow. it's not like she can read the name. And Jada comes to visit her daughter fairly regularly. But then uh, her daughter says, oh, Jada goes to see her mom, too. And we just recently discovered that uh, her three-year-old daughter uh, sort of basically explained to Julie how Jada died. She wow. said the... The car had the root, a hole in it, mommy. There was a, a you know, sure enough, it was a car wow. accident with the semi. So Jada's in their house occasionally. Is there, are there any like um, novice beginner sort of techniques that they could even use to sort of like reach out or like, I don't know. Just, I mean, obviously, like, it seems very, to me, like, proven, but mm -hmm. some kind of, like, physical audio or, or, I don't know. What would you suggest for somebody who doesn't have equi normal equipment? Well, seriously, the first thing that I would suggest is a voice recorder. It's ser okay. seriously a Sony voice recorder. Um, I, they're, like, $30 on Amazon. Just get one of those and either put it in, in the little girl's room. And just hit record and she talks with her all the time and let her have a conversation. And, and, yes. you know, maybe your friend can go in there and they can sit down and ask different questions and see if you can diff get different responses, but then you have to sit down and you got to listen to it. So just put on your headphones, push play and just listen and see if you hear something that you didn't hear in the moment or that the, the little girl, when she's talking in the room by herself, <clears throat> if you hear something that's giving a response. Excuse me. Oh, love given a response. That. Okay. that that would be my my recommendation. Okay. Oh, good answer. In lieu okay. of a voice recorder, can someone just like throw a cell phone? Is there some a reason you shouldn't just use your cell phone or something and leave a you know start a video on your cell phone and leave it in a room and walk away or anything like that? No, you can absolutely do that. We've actually caught several things on our cell phones. Um, when we go on an investigation, and this is just us personally, we actually put our cell phones on airplane mode um, simply because, or we turn them off because we don't want them to interfere with other pieces of equipment. Um, and, you know, we, we don't, we don't use apps. There's some different ghost hunting apps out there that we just don't use because they can use your microphone. They can use your contact list or your location and come up and use that as a word bank. So for us, we don't. Um, but that being said, it, you may just hit record on the phone and try that avenue first to see if you can pick up anything first if if you don't want to go get a voice recorder. Yeah. Okay. We do have one final question that we do ask all of our interviewees. Okay. Um, and here it is. What three objects would we need to bring to summon you from the afterlife in a seance? Okay. So the first one is an American flag because I'm extremely patriotic. So All we're right. going to go with the American flag. The second All one right. is a golden retriever because oh. they are the best dog yes. breed ever. Um, and we've always had golden <laughs> retrievers. So golden retriever. And then the third one is a copy of the original 1977 version of Star Wars. Oh, <laughs> nice. interesting. The, the VHS tape? Either VHS or DVD, but before, you know, all of the oh. digitally enhanced oh, stuff was ruined yes. it that made it crap. Yes. yes. So it has to be the, the original 1977 version. I am down for this seance. Pop in the VHS, get the golden Snuggle retriever up. nearby, have the flag hanging up. Awesome. We'll have to light a couple of our candles. Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, yeah. and Chris will show up. You'll speak to us if we record it, right? Exactly. Oh, yeah, we'll have a recorder out. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk with us. I feel like we've learned so much. You've shared so many amazing stories. Oh, my gosh. Goosebumps. Yeah. So many goosebumps tonight. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> thank really you. Awesome. Thank you both for having me. This has been such a blast, and I, I really appreciate the support and the, the great conversation tonight oh it was fun um so where should people go to follow you and find out more and watch your videos 
Um, all of our videos and everything you want to know about the team, the, the history behind the team and how we got started, um, that's on our website at www.soulsistersparanormal.com. Um, all of our uh, appearances, such as our Paracons and our, our symposiums and, and stuff like that, they will be on there as well. So if you can come out, of, if, if we're in your area, if you want to come out and actually meet us in person, you can find that list there. Um, we're also very active on Facebook under Soul Sisters Paranormal, and all of our videos are also on YouTube. YouTube under Soul Sisters Paranormal. Okay, great. I, you know, we'll have to awesome. check to see if there's a Paracon. And I'm in Seattle, Brits in Austin. So um, in our area, like I didn't even ever think to look at such a thing. So I'm excited <laughs> now. Okay. Well, the the next one um, that we have on the list, we've got asked to be on a couple of others, but um, the, the one that's the furthest will be in Las Cruces, New Mexico. We'll be there in October, the first week of October. Okay. Um, we're doing a couple in Tennessee. Um, the last week of March will be in a- Athens, Tennessee. Um, and then we'll, we'll be speaking or hopefully if, if this COVID thing lifts, we'll actually yeah. be in person at Arkansas State University speaking at their symposium in April. Um, and then we we actually have the opportunity to get overseas in September. So we'll be going to, to Europe, um, in September to so the UK. Awesome. So cool. Very cool. Oh, wow. I started following you on social media because I am into it. I, I love how you guys edit the video. And yeah, it's, it's all done so beautifully. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate the support. If you have a fun story to tell, you can also email that in to us at skeletalespodcast at gmail.com. You can also DM on us on all the socials. We're Instagram, uh, Skeletales Podcast, on Twitter, Skeletales Pod, and Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, Skeletales Community is our uh, group over there, and we it is a fun, rowdy bunch. <laughs> so go go ahead over there. Oh, you can also call us. Oh, yeah. We have a voicemail that you can leave a good story or even just prank call us. We're totally cool or with that, Or an too. EVP. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> into it. That phone number is 302-689-DEAD. 302-689-3323. Yeah, give us a call. Um, so <laughs> we, we didn't tell you how we wrap up the show, but uh, hey, Britt. <laughs> hey, Britt, haunt you later. Oh, oh. <laughs> listen, you are so... Ch- <laughs> you so froze sorry. up on that so one. Why don't you, and why don't you wrap it up, Britt? You wrap it up then because we're okay. recording locally. Like my audio will be fine, but... Uh, uh, Comcast. <laughs> you you can do you do it with uh Chris. You do the sign off, please. Okay, Chris. It was so fun to have you tonight. Hey, Chris. Haunt y'all later. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both for having me. I really appreciate it. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.